War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. You are listening to The John DePietro Show, folks. Weekdays, we start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380. 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, petro.com. It is Tuesday. Excuse me. It is, um, well, last night I was there. If you go to the uh, Facebook page, John DePetro Show, on this Tuesday, September 20th, I was there last night. Uh, Condolences go out to the uh, friends and family of late Mayor Susan Menard. Still not exactly sure what happened, but... I was uh, covering one event and uh, ended up hearing that they had the developing situation in Woonsocket. So still waiting for official confirmation, but um, just keep the family and friends in your in your thoughts and prayers. And again, um, this all has to do with uh, still not exactly sure what might have happened, but um, and we'll refrain from some of the details. But last night I did want to get there. It was that significant and heard exactly what happened. It's much different. I believe we have no reason to believe that there was any foul play involved. So, but still, there is a loss of life. Now, where was I prior to that? I was at the William Hall Public Library. Actually, that was my library growing up in Edgewood. Could uh, walk back and forth to the library. We used to play football back there. That's where I would go. Uh, Weekends, I worked on projects in there. I uh, got my first library card there. Spent a lot of time at William Hall Library. Last night, they had a guest speaker. And what really drew the big mob, and I want to commend the Cranston police, because if they did not have a strong show of force, this thing could have gone sideways very, very early. Early on, there were people that were planning on causing problems. And when they saw the big show of support from the Cranston police, that diminished any thoughts they had that they were going to cause problems. Cranston police, I just, I want to commend them. They took control of the situation. They sized it up. They uh, kept the the group of, I guess, counter-protesters. You know, the ACLU even voted in. So what this was is Nicole Salas, who we've had on the program. I saw Nicole last night. She put together this forum where they had a guest speaker come in and I did interview the guy. I, I was a little surprised. I mean, the police are there to basically, for his safety, they had um, they had some problems in Boston on Sunday outside the Boston Children's Hospital. But anyhow, he's from Canada. And I, the crowd was even unaware that he was right in front and filming them. And I thought it was a, a little bit asking for trouble. But anyhow, uh, they got together. And he talks about gender gender ideology, gender with children in the schools. And so they were going to have, you know, small gathering, which it was in the auditorium, and then word got out. And let's just be very clear what this was. People wanted to cancel the event. People were upset with the library holding the event. The library said there is a First Amendment right just because we disagree. As long as they follow the laws, we can't tell them they can't be here. So as much as people... And the ACLU weighed in yesterday saying, no, the library made the right decision, that they absolutely have a right to be there. Folks, some people do not understand freedom of speech. There was members of the media that were saying they should cancel the event. And then they start coming off with a whatabouts. What if this were Holocaust deniers? What if, in fact, this Well, None of those things existed. It was a group of people, Women's International, I guess it's a kind of a conservative women's group and they want to put on different forums and one of the things has to do you've heard some of this talk in the schools with how people identify and children that start saying in the schools that they instead would like to identify as a boy and so there was this big uproar last night and the counter protesters and they should not be allowed to be here and they they do not understand freedom of speech they they don't they think freedom of speech is they decide what speech uh that people get to listen to what speech they get to talk now i i noticed someone on twitter saying 
oh, there was, you know, they got to have the event. There was no disruption, no disruption. There was an angry mob outside. The, I believe it also uh, certainly impacted, it impacted turnout for the people that maybe wanted to go and hear about gender in the schools. And so, you know, this business that somehow that it didn't Im- impact, it absolutely imp- impacted the event. Uh, they wanted the event canceled. They were an angry mob out in front trying to intimidate anyone from going. That That's not a matter of, hey, you know, they're just, there was nothing wrong. It didn't, it didn't upset their, their event in, in any way. Um, where did I, um, saw where someone was trying to say, oh, you know, it didn't, it didn't impact things. They were just having people, this whole business, what if it was Holocaust, and well, it wasn't Holocaust deniers. What if someone was, you know, having a meeting? Who's censoring? Here's uh, York's producer. The meeting wasn't disrupted. Content of the meeting was concerning to most people, so people responded. The meeting wasn't disrupted. Who's censoring? Well, when you have an angry mob out in front and trying to intimidate anyone that's going, and uh, so much that they need a huge police presence, to keep the event going, how is that not censoring? That that absolutely is censoring. You know, this group that was out front and they turned it into like a transgender pep rally and trans kids and, you know, this is rotten, these people, and this is, you know, the library should be a safe space and now the library is not a safe space. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous, the reaction. But if they had ignored this event, This speaker would have come in from Canada. He would have spoken to maybe, maybe 20 to 25 people, max, right around there. And that would have been the end of it. We we do allow that. They weren't violent. There wasn't any type of talk of of committing any violence. They were having a discussion with parents on gender ideology and what's going on in the schools. And and I, I agree that we get into dangerous territory here, folks, when this whole business, gender reassignment, and the amount of children that are doing gender reassignment. You know, I was interviewing some people that were there last night, the counter-protesters, and they claim that they know of children that went through gender reassignment. They know some of the parents that have. It's just, you know, life can be complicated enough. To say that a 13-year-old girl she's decided she really wants to be a boy. That is, you are altering their bodies, altering their bodies. And the same thing, by the way, with a boy, where you are completely altering their bodies. So the question is, should a 13, 14 year old, should they be allowed, you know, is that really the purpose of what they wanna go through to do the gender reassignment for what comes down to is children that could be going through some awkward teen years, who many would argue, you know, their life hasn't really even started. You know, how many people, when they're 14 years old, really have a sense of what they want to do with their life, what the world is all about, uh, what's realistic, what's not realistic? I mean, that, I, I think these are, these are very serious choices. By the way, with very serious consequences. When they perform the surgery on a young female and start transforming her into that, of a male. This isn't something that, you know, it's not like they die they here and then a week later say, you know, on second thought, I don't like, you know, maybe I won't have orange hair or I won't have pink hair or whatever. This is, it's very dramatic surgery. And conversely, the same thing with boys. When they, you know, go in and, and perform these biological altering surgeries on children, it's, um, this is not something that went on years ago, and it's far more prevalent. And then you just wonder, they're in for a huge disappointment if they decide a few years later, you know, maybe it was just a phase, and maybe I do want to be a boy, or I do want to be a girl. Um, and, and listen, there's going to be, there always have been, there's always going to be young people that are maybe even confused for different reasons about their gender, about their preference is more like it. You know, um, there the, the girls that are sexually abused as children tend to feel more comfortable 
in the company of girls, it doesn't mean that they're naturally attracted that way. They may get older and maybe try to deal with some of it, try to contain it, put it in the past a little bit, um, and then you know go on to live a very productive life. But you, you can't, there's a big difference of someone's going through a tough time what, for whatever reason, and then they go into the whole gender reassignment. And, and you know, there are some young people that, that do experiment. They, they experiment with boys, let's say they're a boy and they experiment with girls and, and both but to and maybe they find that they are experimenting maybe it's a boy that realizes he is more attracted and wants to be in a same-sex relationship or the same thing for a girl so there's just it doesn't happen to everyone but there's definitely some element of it and then they they you know recognize that and then they decide what's the best thing for them but when they start getting into gender reassignment and surgeries are being performed on children. So the crowd that came out last night, all this talk about hate talk, and they shouldn't even be here, and the library shouldn't be hosting them, that's what they were saying. And I was asking some of the people that were there, so are you saying the event should be canceled? And they'd say, no, 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 I'm not saying the event should be canceled. But ultimately, they were saying that they think the event should be canceled. They didn't want to come right out and say that, but that is basically what they thought and felt, that they thought the event should be canceled. So... Also, I interviewed Ashley Kalis yesterday. Um, I'm going to play some of that audio. She is the Republican candidate for governor. She, um, you know, now it's the focus on the two of them. She is a much different candidate than Governor McKee with much, you know, very different beliefs. So I think it's helpful and, in, um, and it's an important element for, for citizens, for voters, to, to be able to get a sense of the different styles. You know, Governor McKee wants to give these huge raises to members of his cabinet, 43%. And then also in the news, how about the fact that Newport is getting ready in case some illegals uh, ship to Newport instead of Martha's Vineyard. All right, that and a lot more. It's John DePietro right here on The John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 20 years' experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, Call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now. 401-732-1730 for J. Perry Paving. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Joining us right now, his new book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced, the one and only. Good morning. Welcome to The John DePietro Show. It's Paul Manafort. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, John. Good to be with you today. First of all, congratulations on your book. Take us inside. Start off, first of all, what you have been through. This is a must-read uh, take us through how this book came together. Well, the, the reason I wrote the book was because when I was going through this crisis in uh, 2016 through 20, uh, I was uh, gagged. I had a gag on my I couldn't talk to the media. Then they put me in solitary confinement. Then they put me in prison. Uh, so the public never got to understand the story of the truth about what I personally was going through, but that wasn't the only reason. The, uh, the real reason I wrote the book was because I wanted to expose the deep state and the, and, the, and the way in which they will go after not just me and not just the former president, but uh, you know ordinary Americans as well, uh, because that's what they're doing now. So the book was driven by exposing the deep state, talking about the two-tiered system of justice, and using the whole Russia collusion hoax and the special counsel's abuse of my personal freedoms uh, to to tell the, the narrative. And I get, get into it in a lot of detail, actually. 
Um, Paul, within the book, uh, first of all, just number one, obviously your admiration, fondness for President Trump comes through. But there are some people in his orbit that you kind of talk about that did not have his best intentions at heart. Well, I, I didn't want to do too much of that in the book. There, there are a couple of points I had to at least raise the issue because it, it was affecting his campaign. And things that people thought about the president were not correct because of what, some of these actions. So I, 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 I get into that a little bit. But I, I tried to keep, keep the personal stories away from the narrative that I was trying to tell. Uh, I, I do focus on, on Weissman and, and his abuses because he still is a danger to our freedoms. Uh, in, in any Biden administration, certainly. Uh, although I think he's so discredited by his tactics that you know, it will take an abusive person to to bring him back into power, but it's possible. What was it, when did you realize, and what was it about then-candidate Donald Trump that you saw a winner and someone that would completely remake the landscape of our of our political system? Yeah, it's it's I, actually this is it's a good question. I get into this in some detail. I I, I sort of dropped out of U.S. politics in the in, during the Obama years because I was frustrated by Republicans as well as Democrats campaigning on certain promises and then not delivering as soon as they get elected. Um, Trump's that was Trump's message when he announced his candidacy that that he was going to drain the swamp and he was going to. They keep his promises, and he was going to focus the purposes of government and the tools of government on making people's lives better, which he did during his four years. But but that was a that was a new message that went right at the establishment. That got my attention, and and then and I talk about this in the book. My family is a, it's a blue collar family, but with a successful family business that's you know in, in, in Connecticut, and my cousins who are you know they're well connected to current events, but never really called me and asked me questions on things. And all of a sudden, in 2015, they were calling me and asking me about Donald Trump and saying they really like what they're hearing, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that his message was was resonating outside of the Beltway. And uh, so I started paying attention. Roger Stone, who was helping organize and, and put the strategy in for, Stone's camp, for Trump's campaign, was a former partner of mine. And Roger was telling me, you need to pay attention because this is Trump's time, and 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 it, 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 I did pay attention and I recognized all that. I saw that he really had captured lightning in a bottle, and uh, uh, and that sincerity came through in his campaign appearances and, and rallies, and and there's other reasons why his supporters can seem to keep growing. Uh, so when the opportunity came for me to get involved in his campaign, you know, I was totally committed to it. Folks, again, we're speaking with Paul Manafort's new book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, Not Silenced. Paul, I just want to ask you a couple people, just rattle off some names and whatever you want to tell us. Let's start off with Mike Lindell. Well, I mean, I became a big fan of his listening to... Uh, Listening to him, and not just uh, at his commercials, but you know some of the things I, I read about him, his speeches. Uh, when you're in prison, in the, the last year, you know, a few years in the general population, I got to watch television. I started getting exposed to Mike Lindell, and uh, I was impressed with him. What about Michael Cohen, President Trump's former attorney? <sighs> Michael was always looking for a purpose uh, in, within the Trump campaign, and it was very frustrating because he he wasn't a political person. Uh, and I think that led to some of his estrangement with Trump. But uh, again, I don't get into that in the book because sure. it's not germane to the story that I'm talking about. Are you surprised? What is your? What can you tell us about the raid on Mar-a-Lago? Well, <laughs> they, uh, it's, it's everything you need to know about how fear, fearful they are that he's going to run for president. Um, and it tells you everything you need to know about how little they understand Donald Trump. Because if they fear him and do something like that, all they're doing is getting them more motivated. Uh, it's it's a risk. This this is a true risk to our democracy. What they did, going after your political opponents and concluding your future political opponent, probably 
uh, is third world banana republic kind of activity. It's not what a mature democracy or the leading democracy in the world should ever be demonstrating to the world. And the example I use is Donald Trump himself. During the Trump 2016 campaign, one of the campaign slogans was lock her up, meaning Hillary Clinton for the, the server crimes that she committed. Sure. Yeah, yeah, when Trump became president, he didn't use the tools of his authority to go after her. That's right. Because he recognized the untowardness that would that would signal uh, to the world about our democracy. So when Biden talks about being the great uniter and how he's going to come in and bring the country together and restore justice, does something like this, it shows how much he's either disconnected from the reality or his own truths. Uh, but it also shows that he really doesn't have the motivations that he talks about. And the American people get it. That's why in less than one year, his support has totally evaporated. They, they see the effects, his changes of Trump's policies have had on the people's lives. And they're now starting to recognize that I think this event, this raid last week, will, will accelerate it. They see the risk to their constitutional rights that this the Biden administration represents. Everything from parents being called domestic terrorists for going to school board meetings to victims being called the problem, not the criminals, to uh, to people living on the border being told that they need to just accept the illegal immigration coming in, et cetera, et cetera. And the point is that Biden's who makes a president who is who who is president makes a difference. If people see that, and Trump is looking better every day in that light. Folks, again, we're speaking with Paul Manafort. Paul, I'm going to let you go in a moment. Just two more quick questions. Number one, if you don't mind, did you ever think that morning, you know, I mean, what you went through, them coming into your home that way, uh, it, it just sounds like it was just like a total nightmare that you went through. And, and But the point about it, it was so heavy-handed, it doesn't seem to seem to that needed to happen. I, I interviewed Peter Navarro. I mean, he, he could look out his window and see the FBI office. He was literally boarding a plane they took him out of the line i mean leg irons it it's just it's just such the heavy-handedness of it but what you went through i think was even more dramatic it's 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 intimidation with a purpose by the by the fbi and the, and the weaponized justice department i mean what, what was worse it's gotten lost in the details you know they knocked on stone's door and got him out you know at a ridiculous hour with you cnn filming it uh, and my, I lived in a condominium. I, I was on the fourth floor. They not only came up to the fourth floor. My bedroom was on the far end of the of the apartment. They entered my apartment at, in pre-dawn, walked the corridors, gun drawn, and opened my bedroom door. You know, now, for all I knew, they, they claimed they were the FBI. They could have been the Russians. They right. They could have been criminals. I didn't know what it was. And my wife and I were, were asleep. I had just wakened. And, and they were rude, they were intimidating, but that's what they were meant to be. And that's, again, a third world tactic. That doesn't belong in our country. I had just spent several days that week, you know, cooperating with the Senate and the House Intelligence Committee for information they wanted. So they were not having any problems with me. Hmm. But uh, like with Trump, they were after, it was a fishing expedition. Uh, for them to come after me because again they weren't looking at me i was a means to their end they wanted to get whatever they could on me and, and they never could they just made stuff up in the end to get me to turn on trump which i wouldn't do folks again it is a must-read book political prisoner persecuted prosecuted not silence the one and only paul manafort paul uh, again congratulations on the book uh a lot of people you're getting a lot of people's attention it's an great to speak to you and we'll talk to you again Thank you, John. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine. Diagnostic Treatment Service, AtMed Urgent Care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals. They're a cost-efficient healthcare alternative 
to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in, routine, urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from COVID, you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. Who are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top legal attorneys. Uh, he is our legal uh, expert, is an attorney, Tim Dodd. And Tim, I, we might as well just start off with uh, all things Trump, and especially uh, the big story broke last night. Uh, and I have people asking me questions like, hey, they can't do that. Uh, Mike Lindell, known as the My Pillow guy, he claims it was a drive-through at Hardee's, and uh, suddenly agents descended on him and took his phone. And this all seems to be tied in. He was definitely kind of in the mix, so to speak, during that period of time of uh, January, December, January, twenty into twenty-one. But a number of people um, are surprised that. And even, you know, questioning like, hey, you know, what is this? They can't just go up. And there were some other Trump people, Dan Scavino's and so forth, where they're they're grabbing their phones. If you were just starting with what what happens prior to that happening, which then allows them the ability to go and and literally take their physical phone. Well, my understanding, John, is that the agents who intercepted Mike Lindell at a drive-through in his car at a fast food restaurant did in fact have a search warrant. My understanding is Lindell actually waived his copy of the search warrant on some podcast that he does. And I believe that the FBI or the justice department without acknowledging the nature of the investigation or what they were looking for did acknowledge that, Um, A search warrant had been executed against Mike Lindell um, and that that warrant had been approved by a judge based upon an affidavit. So if you read certain um, news sources, you would be led to believe that Mike's waiting to get his hamburger sitting in his car. Some fed comes up and says, give me your phone. Um, That would be totally inappropriate if there was no search warrant, no nothing. They just can't walk up and say, give me your phone, snatch it from him and walk away. Rather, it seems like this was done through the appropriate steps. Affidavit, judge approval, execution of warrant. Um, We don't know exactly what the the purpose is. You're right, John, that um, Lindell was heavily involved in funding and pursuing, um, making videos, trying to create TV shows, infomercials, whatever, to demonstrate um, the voting irregularities. In fact, he did have one show. (laughs) He just kept barking out crazy numbers that were at variance with... um, the official totals, here's our next number. And it, it, it didn't make any sense. There was no. no backup, no support. Now, what he was served with, he, he's up there in Minnesota. And the investigation apparently is tied to an investigation of irregularities that occurred in Colorado yep. with one specific overseer of, um, I think, a county and the potential that an unauthorized person, again, got access to the um, voting machines or the voting machine software, um, which is exactly the same thing that's going on in Georgia, that uh, forces friendly to President Trump would let investigators come in to look at the software, look at the hardware, look at the equipment, and maybe download it, maybe have now copies of it, and for better or for worse, if this is our voting software, it, we have to protect it 
to keep it from being further comp have the further potential to be compromised by partisans on either side. Right. So that's, I think, where that's going. Who knows how much communication Lindell has had with the players in um, Colorado. Could be emails, could be texts. And as we know, when we've said many times, whatever you make into an email or into a text, I mean, Hillary Clinton tried every trick in the book to destroy her um, emails and texts, and they are largely recoverable. So when you commit it to something in print, you must presume it will be available for a good long time um, if there's ever an investigation into whatever um, a person might be up to. Tim Dodd, what does it tell us? Justice Department subpoenaed more than 30 people in former President Trump's orbit in his January 6th probe. So as much as the raid has gotten so much attention, there certainly seems to be a lot more activity around, you know, as much as we've all seen, you know, the video of what happened on on January 6th, but it it seems to be more potentially what was some of the communication about looking at the voters and the the supposed maybe fake electors and sending out fundraising on the election. Um, it, it, It seems to be they're expanding and speeding up the investigation into everything that happened prior to January 6th and then in the, in the aftermath of it. Well, unfortunately the speed up is selective and certain things are being looked at Uh and some things are being absolutely ignored, um, which, you know, people who are over there in cynics corner who think, you know, cynically towards this whole operation have good reason to think that way because You can see now it's a day after the midterms. The media is dutifully reporting that, you know, many of Trump associates are now been subpoenaed in conjunction with the January 6th investigation. Um, I think as we get closer to the midterms, you're going to get lots more of this information leaking out from the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wrong when either side does it. Um, it's happening almost exclusively against the Trump forces or allies. And maybe it's appropriate and maybe there's substance to it and maybe not. But, you know, the the old adage that, you know, the FBI and justice doesn't do anything within 60 days of an election. Right. um, Apparently that rule doesn't apply if you're trying to pile up negative information against Donald Trump. But I I want to just get back to Tim Dodd, some of the legal peril here, because... (laughs) Some of the people like Dan Scavino, what have you, I mean, if, if they get your phone and who knows how many texts and emails, I mean, the potential, a lot of these individuals going in, I, I just think you, I, I don't know how you don't not take the fifth. If then I, who can remember and, and there's perjury traps all over the place if there was so much communication going on in the aftermath of the election. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, with all these people, their stories will never be all consistent. Right. There'll be little things that uh, the feds can pick at in terms of discrepancies. The fact that they're casting such a wide net um, tells me maybe they don't yet have sufficient information to charge Donald Trump with any crimes relating to this January 6th event. And perhaps they're casting their net wider to more Trump associates, hoping that they'll get somebody along the line to flip. And, you know, then they'll be hoping that there's a conga line of people flipping and coming in to testify against the president. I mean, I I, got to assume that they don't yet have what they need to get Donald Trump or they wouldn't be going through this exercise. Um, Will somebody flip along the way? potentially, and then you've yeah, got to look or, at their motive. Right. Or maybe they already did. Finally, if we take a break, Tim Dodd, is this potentially, I mean, they did raise, I think, like $250 million. A lot of times, small donations from all over this whole business of, you know, the election was stolen. Could that potentially be like obtaining money or the false pretenses if they could show that in the course of the, you know, emails back and forth that, that there was there was a different narrative taking place? 
Well, it's, it that would be a stretch to okay. say you're t- obtaining money under false pretenses. And just like we've talked about with the lawsuit that Dominion has against uh, certain people at Fox News, by right. way of example, you'd have to look and see exactly what's said. So in these fundraising communications, you know, you really got to parse the language and look at it carefully to see yeah. if it crosses the line um, from a legal standpoint. Um, I think it's a great question. I'm not sure that there's enough um, facts available to bring those types of charges. But the right. way things are going, nothing would surprise me in terms of you know, going after Trump for anything conceivable that they can come up with. Sure. Uh, and and it, if it's, if it's there, John, then he should be prosecuted, but mm. it's except for the Mar-a-Lago raid. Right. It doesn't seem like there's a critical mass of information to get him. And just touching on the, the raid before we take a break, uh, uh, his attorneys seemingly have gone quiet that you don't see them. At least I have not seen them on like Fox news at night or anything like that. But uh, th- this business of that, he, he classified the documents before he left the White House. I, I think the Department of Justice came out today and said that that is, and as we had talked about, is not possible. And I think people need to maybe recognize that maybe maybe that's a defense, maybe that's an argument, but apparently there would be more of a of, of a paper trail, of a path of exactly how something like that is done, especially with, you know, we haven't gotten a lot of new information because then they're still waiting on the sole business of the special master but what what should we it it sounds like a good strategy tim dodd if his attorneys are no longer going on fox news at night and kind of making things worse well you're they were they were (laughs) really making a mess of things unfortunately if you're uh, if you're a supporter of the president you'd be squirming listening to his lawyers go on and screw things up um if you're not a fan of the president, I'm sure that it was a time for popcorn and a soft drink and watch the fun begin because it was ugly. Um, it wasn't helpful. But at the end of the day, I, you're correct that if the president, while in office, said this is executive material or I'm exempting this from the um, Archive Act, if you will, He just can't wave his hand and say, that box is exempt, and look over there and say, well, that box is exempt. There's more to it. There's got to be a particularization. This is exempt. Not that whole box of stuff over there. That's all all exempt. Um, It doesn't seem like the attention to detail was paid, even if he thinks or his staff thinks that whatever he said was sufficient to give it his blessing and make it so. I, I mm. think that's going to be clearly found to be insufficient. Tim Dodd, finally, before we break, Stephen Miller was on with Laura Ingram, and she was asking, we wouldn't answer, but whether or not they took his phone. Do, do you know, it's, it's my understanding, it, people would think that they get their phone records, but apparently with technology, it's, it's actually they can get more if they, they literally get the physical phone. It's not enough for the the cloud it's not enough to you know have someone's access they to the they they want their phone apparently and that's where there could be material that even the person that has it may have thought that they deleted it wiped it out what have you but as you would start off saying about hillary as much as i many times these people think they've erased everything the the people that are looking for it they're just a step above and there does seem to be a way to retrieve a lot of information that some people mistakenly think has been, you know, uh, deleted. Yes, I agree with exactly what you said. I'm, I'm a fairly low tech guy. Um, yeah. I've got investigators who do a lot of electronic investigation for me and phones are the gift that keeps on giving. When wow. an investigator gets their hands on a phone, the material that can be pulled from that phone is astonishing and things mm. that you think are gone are not gone. Um, I think Steve Miller is a smart guy, and I think he was smart not to answer that question. I mean, right. he's, I think, one of the smarter people that still 
seems to be in the Trump orbit. And um, he was not going to take that bait. Um, Mm. He shouldn't divulge anything one way or another. Uh, All of this should still be kept um, out of the public realm until the Justice Department is ready to do something. But as we've said many a time, the Justice Department, they're the master leakers. They leak consistently. They leak what they want. The media is more than ready to be compliant and deliver whatever message the Justice Department wants delivered. Um, When you're in the crosshairs of a a DOJ investigation, it's very difficult because Mm. DOJ has all the time, all the money, all the resources, all the media, and... um, I think it could be a lonely fight for Donald Trump or anyone in his shoes when faced with the um, the power of the government as it's being exercised right now. Yeah, I heard um, an expert saying that, okay, so they got all these subpoenas, and these phones. They said they could spend the next two months going through this stuff. They're in no rush, uh, you know, meticulously getting the information looking for. Um, it, it just must be a difficult position for the people that – that somehow, they, you know, and I, I don't expect everyone, maybe you don't remember everything that you had or an email or a text or whatever. Uh, folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast, is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. We speak with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, Alex Jones is in the news again. Um, He's battered and bruised, but it looks like round two is coming up for Alex Jones with the Sandy Hook families. Yes, he he concluded the trial in Texas where a jury awarded the parents of one of the children who um, was murdered in the Sandy Hook um, incident um, close to $50 million. That's for one set of parents. Mm. Now in Connecticut, there are multiple sets of parents who are all claiming against um, uh, Alex Jones. And, you know, it's the st- not the standard. Nothing about this case is standard. It's horrific. But they've sued him for defamation, for intentional infliction of emotional distress. They've sued him for libel. They've sued him for slander, um, among other things, uh, because based on the words that he utilized in his, um, his um, I don't know if they're podcasts or over-air over broadcasts, um, basically saying that the parents and the cops were all in on a hoax and that Sandy Hook never happened. And it's all a conspiracy to try to take guns away from people and to rev up the public to be against um, firearms being in the hands of, of citizens. His defense has largely been, I've got the right to free speech. But as we've said many a time, your, your right to free speech is not absolute. If right. you libel someone, if you slander someone, if you defame somebody, you have the absolute right to say those words, to defame somebody, to libel them, to slander them. But your free speech to say the words that you want to say could subject you to a civil suit for money damages. And that's mm. exactly what's happened to this guy, Alex Jones. So when he wants to parade around saying that he's the defender of the first amendment and free speech it kind of misses the point yeah it really does miss the point and you know for him to try to position himself as some patriot who's only exercising his first amendment rights um that's a red herring he defamed these people he slandered them you know he intentionally inflicted emotional distress upon them he knew what he was saying was a lie And he said it over and over and over. And he said it for one reason and one reason only, because I believe he generated something like $300 million um, in profits as he was banging the drum on the Sandy Hook issue over and over, daily, weekly, yearly, monthly. And these parents and their whole family suffered because of it. So he knew what he was doing. 
he 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 struck a nerve with the public and he got lots and lots of money by perpetuating the lie that this was a hoax. So he should get rung up for considerable damages. If one family got $50 million, mm. uh, you can only speculate now if that has set the bar for what um, the damages are. Um, you know, there's over a dozen sets of parents with similar claims. In one day, Infowars brought in 800000 Tim Dodd, him and his attorneys, since they now go to a second trial, do they maybe change up and sharpen their defense a little bit to try to uh, adjust to this trial? Or many of the things they said, can that be like when he was on the stand, could that now be used in this, this second trial? Well, you, anything that he has said, oh, okay. you know, they, they, can, they can play what he said in his broadcast. They can take excerpts from his deposition you know, so for him to say at the eleventh hour and have this epiphany that now I believe that it all hey, happened, it, is true. it, it wasn't. Happen. It's not a hoax. <laughs> um, it's too little, too late, and it's almost insulting to say, "Well, now I want to admit that this was real, and now I want to apologize to the parents. I'm sorry for doing all this for the last nine and a half years." Yeah. Um, I think it makes it worse in many ways. Mm. Folks, uh, another quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. Thing to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok, plus you, if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipetro.com. We speak with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, New York Times had a story regarding members of Congress. I think they were listed in 97. Uh, and it has to do with they, they admit to trading with, with various companies. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse was one of the people listed. Is this um, is he in potentially any legal jeopardy? I think what I saw was they he and his wife basically, I believe, if I can recall, said that they have a broker, does it independently, unaware. Um, is there any type of legal jeopardy based on some some story like this? Well, potentially, but there's a lot of ground to cover before you'd ever get there. Um Every couple of years or so, there'll be some member or members of Congress who will try to put through legislation that um, elected members of the House and Senate can't trade stocks. And there's always an outcry amongst the senators and reps. No, you know, we have the same constitutional rights as everyone. We should be able to buy and sell stocks. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a fair statement. That's a nice proposition. But if you're a senator, if you're a congressperson, and you have a blind trust, let's say, and it's buying and selling stocks, well, that's fine. Uh, I don't think that Senator Whitehouse has that. He says they got a broker and the broker doesn't consult with them. And he buys, or I don't know if it's a he or a she, buys and sells as the broker sees fit to buy and sell. Well, that's fine if that's true. If anyone believes that's true, well, God bless. I'm not sure I believe that it's true, but right. that's only me. I mean, apparently the senator was trading in and out of shares of CVS, Intel, Biogen, and tr uh, train technologies. And that would be maybe okay, except each of those entities from what we read in the, in the press are companies that have had um, hearings and information about these companies um, before this senator and the various committees that he sits on. So the question would be, as he's learning information about these companies and uh, individuals who these companies may be testifying in front of the different committees that he sits on, is he getting insider information? And is that insider information making its way to his broker 
to right. inform what he buys and what he sells and when he does it. Now, depending on how good any senator or congressperson covers their tracks, it's a tough thing to prove that it's just a coincidence that you're buying and selling positions in companies that just happen to be coming before your committee and that you might be learning information. But, you know, that would be an SEC investigation. And if the investigation showed, you know, that there was evidence of insider trading, there, there could be criminal charges. But that's, mm. that's a heavy lift. There's a yeah. lot of steps you'd have to get through to get to that point. And I mean, this Senator Whitehouse has been the subject of similar allegations in the past. And again, there's 97 right now. He's not the only one. So I think there's a lot to look into, you know, if the DOJ or the SEC has the stomach to go after these people. Folks, again, let's speak with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, uh, Tuesday night, primary night, there was a great scare at Northeastern with an explosion. And apparently the individual who was involved, they started going through and gave some inconsistent um, statements. And now, uh, as we're speaking, it, it would seem that potentially things are pointing in the direction. You had the FBI involved. This uh, set up, you know, all colleges went on alert. What potential type of charges could someone face if, in fact, that it turns out it, that it was it was the individual, you know, that was somehow involved with this explosion that was actually behind it. Well, it could be a, a charge of domestic terrorism. That's federal. That would have wow. a lengthy potential prison sentence. I don't know if the explosion um, caused any fires to ignite, but it would be first degree arson, which could be a very cons- that's a very serious charge as well. Uh, We don't know if he might have conspired with other people to do this or if this was assuming he's the guy and assuming he did this intentionally. Sure. Was it his own brainstorm or was he working with others? Uh, I don't think anyone else was injured other than himself. And I guess the injuries that he claimed were inconsistent with the type of injuries you'd get if you were in close proximity to this type of explosion. Mm. Now, this guy apparently... Uh, I don't know if he went in alone or if he went in with counsel, but as we've talked about many times, John, he basically um, implicated himself by going in, talking to the cops or the feds, um, giving an inconsistent story. He would have been far better served to say nothing and say, you know what? You want to suspect that I did was involved in this? Knock yourself out. Suspect me, but I'm not going to do anything to help you get me. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, But, you know, this is what happens. People either think they're obligated to go talk to the investigators, which they're not, or they think they're smarter than the investigators and they can come up with a story that's going to hang together. Right. And most often times it doesn't hold up and there are inconsistencies. And, you know, the people investigating these types of uh, events are not stupid. They know what no. they're doing. They know yep. what they're doing. And however that came about, it uh, this thing could could um, really cause uh, some problems for that individual. Folks, again, he is our uh, legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we will talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care.